Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers, Sunday Sermon. I'm your host, David Johnson, and today we have a very special guest, Darren Lute. Darren, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Should we call you Mr. Lute, uh, or is Darren okay? Darren's preferable. Darren's good? Okay. All right. I just wanted to... Just wanted to make sure. I don't call any guests Mr. or Dr. My guests, uh, my uh, audience might have noticed that, and they might think that I am somehow very disrespectful to all of my guests that have terminal degrees and such. But this is a very intentional thing, because on this show, we're all idiots. Even the experts. Because we're talking about a thing that inherently can have no expertise. <laughs> There's, there, there simply can be no authority when it comes to the metaphysical or the spiritual or things that people just make up. So I, I don't recognize theological authority. Uh, that may be wrong on my part. The other reason I do it, though, is because I, I think that... Um, in this show, we really do all need to be equals to have an equal conversation. No one needs to salute to me. I don't need to salute to anyone else, and we don't need to do it in our hearts and minds. Otherwise, I don't think that the conversation would go very well. So, um, you know, a lot of people may not realize uh, my friend um, Clint Hecock. He's got a terminal degree. He's actually Dr. Hecock. I have never, ever had a skeptic guest who insisted or even wanted to be called uh, um, by their uh, academic title. I only see that sort of thing with Christians. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's, it's as if Christians feel like they need some authority to back them. And I think, you know, even though uh, Dr. Craig, and I don't mind calling him Dr. Craig, it's fine, uh, William, Bill, you know, our pal Bill, um, he's a smart guy. He's a good debater. I suspect he would clean my clock in a debate and yours too, for that matter, because he's really good at the craft, but he's not better than us. He's not more right than us. And on a show that shares ideas, either all ideas have to be equal or someone should just shut up and it it's just a lecture at that point. So um, that's the show. All right. I've taken a little bit of time to explain that. I've been, I've been wanting to explain that for a little while because I know that it's out there. It sticks out like a sore thumb that I never use respectful titles. And uh, I know that that kind of annoys some Christians. But that's it. There it is. And for the record, uh, I have never had any Christian guests who have... Um, asked to be called by their titles. In fact, I usually talk to the guests before the show starts and we get that kind of thing out of the way so that we're on a first name basis. So, uh, People, I am not being disrespectful to guests in that way. I may be disrespectful when I say they're batshit crazy, but that's a different matter. Hey, Darren, um, speaking of batshit crazy people with uh, academic authority, Bill Craig. Am I right? 
<laughs> what, what pretty much yeah has has bill craig imploded or is bill craig just saying things that he's always said uh, i know that you've followed bill as much as the rest of us i guess uh how how do you read this latest episode of bill uh, the one where he says that uh, we should lower the bar to the floor to yeah. believe Christianity. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he's always believed. Uh, and it almost, in order to believe a religion or anything else that has no evidence to support it, I would say that that's probably what all the believers of whatever their ex is has to do yeah um i think that's true however i think a lot of the apologists don't say it out loud yeah so there's there's kind of this um this code this unspoken code there's the stuff they say in church because let's face it very few non-religious people are going to be in their church. I don't care how big the church is. There's the stuff they say in church. It's just balls to the walls, out there, crazy nut job stuff. And then there's the stuff that they say on Christian broadcasts, whether it's television, radio, uh, internet, when they're talking to other Christians, they kind of have this idea that there are other people who could be listening, but mostly they're still in the mode of just talking to other uh, Christians and one of the um, uh, the things uh, were that Craig was uh, speaking in, and uh, I'll I'll talk about more next week. Uh, he makes reference to the idea that this is an in-house discussion. Well, okay, Craig, but you're talking to the world. <laughs> Did you do you not see the cameras? <laughs> so, um. It, it's it's never that, but I think that I think they forget about that. And then there's the stuff that uh, they talk about when they are in a debate with an atheist, or or in some type of interview where they know that there's an atheist on the other side, and that's very different from the stuff they talk about at church. And I get the feeling that Bill Craig said something out loud that most Christians don't like to say out loud because they know that they're going to get the kind of pushback that he actually got. And that's that's kind of how it felt to me. And I feel like that's how it felt to a lot of the community, that Bill Craig said this thing out loud that we all know is true. We all know they believe, but they but you can never get him to say it. And here Bill just came out and said it. Yeah, it has to be sort of an interesting line to walk because... When you're an entertainer like Bill Craig is, you have to speak to the audience where they're at if you're going to actually communicate with them. So obviously the truly xeno-crazy stuff, you don't want to lead with that when you're talking to a secular audience because you're going to lose them right away. Um, but yet you still have to get people there at some point. So. I think this just happened to be an unfortunate crossover for him because Kyle was is a Christian, right? And um, so he was talking his Christianese, uh, but he ended up doing it where the secular people could watch. 
Sure. I wonder uh, if he had been in a debate uh, in, a, in a situation where he knows he's consciously talking to atheists, if he would have answered Cal's question exactly the way he did. Uh, now, we're, okay. we're going to get into Craig um, a little bit more here. We've got a video that we're going to run through. It's actually a short video. It's only about six minutes. And uh, 4S usually goes for anywhere from one to two hours, but we'll probably keep it close to one hour. This little six-minute video, though, is a very important part of understanding Craig, and we're especially dealing with the subject of doubt uh, in this video. But I feel like the thing, and, and so we will, I will acknowledge that Craig has been saying much of this stuff for his entire career. So this is, this is not entirely new for Craig, but I feel like the new thing that he said, the thing that caught me off guard anyway, was the full-throated uh, support of Pascal's wager, uh, which is something that I, I get the sense that most apologists wouldn't do, even if they believe it. So it, it is something like this. If all else fails, you know, if you have no evidence, if you have no internal witness of the Holy Spirit, it's still worth believing because the message is so good and, and you should Pascal yourself into believing. So take away, well, strip away all the other stuff that he's been talking about in his career. And he still says, yes, Jesus, you should still go for belief. Uh, from Pascal. I, th I think that's the new thing, and I think that's what people have been reacting to. Am I wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong, uh, but I think Pascal is sort of how, whether they formalize it or not, I think that's how Christians sort of think. You've got the carrot, which is God and eternal life and all the uh, bunnies and gold you want, and then you've got the stick, which is being tortured for all eternity. I think that just naturally puts people into a Pascalian mindset, whether they're formalizing it or not. Well, right. And I, I, I feel like that is correct. And it, it, it's just part of the, the private stuff that we believe and say when we're in our club and the public stuff that we say, especially when we're wearing our academic hat, um, and I, I feel like academics make a point to not place their uh, place a lot of weight on Pascal. Um, but well, yeah, because when you actually formalize it, it's obvious that it's a stupid way to think. Yeah, it it, <laughs> it does it does seem so. And I, for me, I would think that a better answer. Uh, well, it, I I talked last week about better answers to Cal's questions. I'm not gonna relitigate that, but I kind of wish that I had to had you on the show to talk about uh, some of some of that as well. But there are a lot of things that Craig could have said that I think were better than, uh, yeah, Pascal, hey, does it, do you feel good? Uh, it, it's, it's worth it. <laughs> you know, it, it beats the alternative is not a very academic answer. Uh, so. Yeah, but it might be the, the truthful answer for Craig. I mean, he, he mentioned that uh, the reason that he got into the whole thing was because um, he realized God could forgive his sins. So he's sort of in that mindset, whether he could formalize it at the time he, uh, when he was a teenager or not. 
but he was still in that mindset of, wow, I don't want to be tortured for all eternity, so forgiveness for my sins, how awesome is that? Well, um, right, I, I really want to, I really want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit further because our video is so short and <laughs> this is why I can waste a little bit of time up front here, but, um, you know, we might get into some of this, so I'm going to, I'm going to let that sit, uh, right there. And, um, I will tell you now that, oops, sorry about the noise here. I'm bumping my mic. Apologies to everyone. Um, I am going to not talk very much about something that will come up, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. We might talk about it a little bit, but next week's show will be completely devoted to the inner uh, inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Um, either next week's show or we might do a supplemental uh, this week. But um, I will just say, uh, by way of announcement, anyone, if there's anyone who would like to be on that show with me, you are welcome to do so. You can contact me in the usual way. Let's go to William Lane Craig when he was a little younger. Uh, this is from is it 2011. Uh, from 2011, I believe. So a little over a decade ago, we were all a little bit younger then, and people have changed their views a lot in that time. Actually, I don't, I think I'm mixing this up with um, something that Randall Rouser said, but this, this was some time ago when um, Craig did this. But the reason I'm playing it, besides the fact that it's short, is I think that it gives us a sense of what Craig not only believes today, but what he has always believed. And to the extent that Craig believes it, uh, I think is the extent that Christian academia believes it. Now, I know that not all Christians agree with Craig. If you want to find some someone who is happy to disagree with Craig in public, uh, go to Randall Rouser's blog. He's, he's happy uh, to disagree uh, with Craig. Randall Rouser is happy to, to disagree with anyone. He, uh, he does not salute to anyone uh, on, on his side, and I respect him for that. But I think people don't understand the depths to which Craig does believe the stuff that he said seemingly off offhanded to Kyle uh, a few weeks ago. This is, in fact, a part of his DNA. Uh, so whether he's been saying it out loud or not or not uh, is, is irrelevant. He's been saying parts of it out loud for a very long time. I think he's maybe added Pascal to this maybe a little bit more recently. But especially the part where he talks about doubt, this is stuff that he has been saying for a long time and what Christians have been believing for a long time. You haven't had a lot of Christians over the years pushing back on Craig for this. And this is something that I think is extremely important. It, it goes to the heart of epistemology because I don't think that a person can have good epistemology about anything if they don't have an inbuilt mechanism for doubt. 
So before I start this video, I just want to um, see where you are on that, Darren, because I know that you and I share um, some interest in epistemology. In fact, I think it may be one of the most important issues of our time, because that uh, impacts how we understand everything else about the world and society. And I, and I don't believe that you can have a functional epistemology if your epistemology has no mechanism for doubt. Where are you there? Um, I, I agree with you, but I'd go a step further and I would say that you don't have a functional epistemology if you don't have any way to reliably distinguish fact from your imagination. And um, I think that's the biggest problems that Christians have, is that when it comes to their religion, they don't have the proper tools to do that with, which is why they believe in, you know, God's magic and uh, holy, holy ghosts and demon battles and all that good stuff. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you are uh, vying for a front row seat to next week's show. Um, so I'm not going to bite. <laughs> nice try. Uh, next week. But um, yeah, I, I want to focus especially on the doubt part because I, uh, I thought about this for a long time and um, I was trying to think of something in my life that I believe in that is beyond question for me, that I don't doubt or, or couldn't doubt. Um, there, are th there are things that I feel like I know more strongly than other things. I'm pretty comfortable with how gravity works on the, the macro level, for, in for instance. However, if someone came up with the right theory and the right demonstration, I could doubt gravity. Right? It's 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 possible. I don't have a a commitment to gravity. I don't have a it's not a part of my intellectual makeup so that if if gravity didn't actually work the way I think it does, then that would somehow destroy my life. Okay. Okay, you know, so I, I, I think that. I could integrate new facts about gravity, but it is one of those things that I feel like I know pretty well, and I'm not going to start doubting it just because someone says that gravity doesn't exist. That said, there are things that people could say and demonstrate that would make me doubt it, if, if that makes sense. So you're, you're saying that uh, you wouldn't necessarily doubt that the, the existence of gravity, just uh, someone could come along and... Uh, demonstrate that it's different than what we're thinking it is at the moment. Exactly. I'm not a, I'm not a gravity I... absolutist. <laughs> so, and, and I think that's, um, I think that's one of the, one of the things that distinguishes me now from the way I used to think as a Christian, uh, because I was an absolutist about a lot of things. There were a lot of things that I felt that I knew that I couldn't be wrong about. Um, this is just, uh, the truth and, and life as we know it kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm right and I'm absolutely things. right. And I couldn't be wrong. And Christianity kind of encourages that kind of thinking. And if, and if you start doubting certain things, uh, it's not that you have good reason to doubt. It's that the, that the enemy, that some outside force 
is is making you is is fogging your judgment. So there there is no good inbuilt mechanism for doubt there. But since I left Christianity, uh, there really isn't anything that I couldn't doubt. You know, if someone says, "Are you really sure that your wife loves you?" It's going to shock a lot of people that um, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> there have been times in our marriage when I thought, I don't think my wife really loves me that much. Uh, and I've also thought, I don't think I love my wife that much. I mean, we relationships are such, I know you're not married, uh, but relationships are such where loving couples who have long-term relationships go through periods where they don't like each other very much. It, it, that's just the truth. You can ask anyone who is in a um long-term relationship that doesn't mean that you're going to drop your commitments just because you're going through a period where you don't like each other that much but this idea this kind of magical idea that we're always in love and that that we would never doubt you know the love of the it's it's ridiculous of course we doubt it <laughs> we, every every one of us does from time to time for good reason that it that doesn't even mean our relationship's bad it just means that we're human and we're going through a phase where, um, you know, we can question that. So that said, are there any things, are there anything, any things, sorry, in your life, in your mental model of the world, um, your worldview that you can't doubt? Um, I guess it depends on definitions. Um, there I, there are a lot of things that I don't doubt, but uh, I'm always open to being demonstrated that uh, something else is going on. Um, for example, the supernatural, if I, I'm 100% certain that it doesn't exist, that gods, don't ex gods and magic don't exist, but if someone were able to demonstrate that they did exist, you know, hold my breath and jump up and down and exclaim that they don't exist or anything. So I don't know if that counts as doubt or not, but, um, but I, you know, keep an open mind, nothing else. Right. So if you say you keep an open mind, that means that there's a possibility. Not because an open mind doesn't really mean much if there's not a possibility. For no, being I, wrong. See, I, I don't, I don't, possibility and open mind are two different things. I don't think it's possible that the, that the supernatural exists, um, mostly because it's so ill, ill-defined that I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be thinking is possible, but that doesn't mean that if someone comes up and shows me that it is uh, a real thing, that I'm not going to believe it. Okay. So I agree with that, and I'm trying to um, I'm trying to square this with the idea of what is or what one thinks is or isn't possible. Um, if a Christian says, you know, I believe that God is the only God, I mean, from their perspective, it's not possible for there to be another God. And therefore it would be meaningless for them to say well i've got an open mind about it furthermore i don't think they would say they have an open mind about it there are all kinds of things that christians don't have an open mind about 
and uh, they don't mind telling you. <laughs> they want you to have an open mind about their shit, but they don't actually have an open mind about yours because they are certain of how the universe is ordered for them. And so if a Christian says they have an open mind, I'm wondering what that would mean since they don't believe it is at all possible that they could be wrong. And as we're going to see in the video, if you prove, if you gave evidence showing that they were wrong, they would still not believe you because there's, yeah, there's something else that supersedes any evidence that you could bring. Yeah, but that's not having an open mind at that point. Um, that's just closed mind, no doubts. You know, you've fortified yourself, locked down, uh, bunked down with your flak jacket and AR-16 uh, or whatever it is, and uh, ready to shoot anything that comes through the door type of thing. That's not open mind. <laughs> Right, but if you if you have a locked perspective where it is simply not possible for you to be wrong about a certain thing, then isn't it just kind of a pretense that you do have an open mind if no matter what someone says, you are you are certain that you couldn't be wrong? It seems like it seems like part so. of opening your mind is loosening the certain your your own certainty about a thing, at least transactionally so that you can listen to the evidence presented. Because if, I, if, if, if someone, for instance, wanted to present evidence to me that I'm not really myself, that I'm actually Donald Duck, I don't have an open mind about that. I wouldn't listen to the evidence. It, there's no, there's no <laughs> presentation that they could make that would cause me to open my mind enough to even care what they had to say. Uh, so that is an example where I do not have an open mind because I don't think it's possible that I am wrong and that they're right. So there's there's no need of pretending to listen to that. Yeah, um, but there's a, I think there's two different things going on there. You have the okay. idea about whether something's possible or not. You can be yes or no on that. And then you have the... Uh, whether you've decided you're going to waste your time listening to other people talk about things that you think are impossible or not. And then you have yes or no or on that one. So I think, I think those are actually two different questions. Uh, whether you think something's possible or not, you know, that's, uh, you know, you can think either way. Um, and then whether you're going to actually listen to other people because of that's because you think it's impossible or not. I think that's the second step. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think it's possible that a God exists, but I'm willing to uh, sit down and, with people that think that they have evidence and listen to them. Okay. And not because I think that they could possibly change my mind, but because uh, if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong. But that doesn't mean I think I'm wrong, or it's okay. possible that I'm wrong. Yeah, I think, I think there's something there. Um, there's something that we disagree on. It's hard to put my finger on it. Um, I'd like some input on this. What does it mean to have an open mind about things, especially outlandish things that you don't believe? Because I, I think the I think the distinction for me is that I can be certain as as much as any human being can be certain about something. I can be certain about a proposition or the absence of that, the the negative of that proposition. Um, 
and still be open to being wrong. Right? Uh, you you can prove me wrong if if you can, then I'm I'm here for it. So that to me is how I define open-mindedness for me. I may not believe that the thing you're saying is true or even possible, but I will listen to you, and as long as you're willing to talk to me knowing that I, I don't think what you're saying is possible, uh, I will listen to the degree that I can, and you can, if you have the goods, prove me wrong. I don't, I don't think that I couldn't be not wrong. Um, I think I think I'm not wrong, but it's not that I couldn't be wrong. You see, and that's I think that's where open-mindedness comes from. If you think you can't be wrong, then there's no room for open-mindedness because nothing anyone says to you could convince you that you're wrong because you can't be wrong, if you see what I mean. There's a, there's a fine distinction between thinking you're not wrong and thinking you can't be wrong. Maybe. I don't think I really, it doesn't really settle with me that just because you think you can't be wrong automatically means that your mind is closed. Because for, I guess for me, uh, uh, open-mindedness is just accepting evidence um, and not denying the evidence. So, because um, I don't think I can be wrong about the God question. I, I've, you know, when I was in my teens and first starting to think about it, then um, I was a lot more agnostic. Mm. But as I've seen the evidence and I've seen the, um, what Christians, when you really dig down what they're actually saying when they say things like Holy Spirit or anything like that, then I you know, over the, over the years, I just have come to the conclusion that I actually can't be wrong because what the Christians are actually talking about is just nonsense and circumstantial and arguments for ignorance and that kind of thing. So, uh, but if they can actually provide evidence, I'll look at the evidence. I think that's, I'm still not going to say that, um, that my mind can't be changed. I'm just saying that I don't know that it can be changed because I don't think I'm wrong. Okay, then I, I think that what you're saying is closer to what I'm saying then. Um, and there just may have to find better ways to describe this because I don't think, I mean, if you just take the corpus of things that Christians say about their God and spirituality, things that I that I have heard and read and studied and listened to, you know. Um, I have evaluated that, and not only am I not wrong about my opinion of those things, I don't think that I can be wrong about those things either. That said, that doesn't mean that a Christian can't make a better argument down the road, um, or that they couldn't show some better evidence down the road. So if all they're going to do is repeat the things they've already said, then I'm not especially open-minded to that. 
right? Because I've, I've gone through that. I've evaluated that. And I actually reevaluate that every few years. Um, I go through the same arguments and the apologetics and the theology. Uh, I read my Bible most likely more than 90% of all Christians in the world. Uh, that is not an empty boast. So um, I, I, I feel like uh, I, while I'm constantly evaluating at one level, if all the Christian has to say is the stuff that I have already multiply evaluated, then they could stop talking because I'm not, I'm, that's not convincing to me. You know, let me stop you right now, brother. Pascal's wager cannot be right. It is a fallacious argument. So um, if that's what you got for me, um, you know, if what you got for me is the shroud, let me stop you right there. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I, I'm not open to your old information about the shroud. Do you have a new test? Um, I, I will talk about that. Right. So I, I think there's room for believing that you can't be wrong about certain things and yet being open to new information convincing you're wrong on, on that specific thing. You know, a God could convince me that he exists. Oh, yeah. Sure a God is. never has convinced me that he exists, and none of his messengers have con convinced me that they exist. And if the best we have for that God are the arguments and the messengers uh, that that we have, then no, there's there's simply no way that William Lane Craig and his bag of arguments can convince me. It's not possible. He needs a new argument. Or, or the God needs a new messenger. You know, yeah. so well, and I think that's a fundamental handicap of trying to rely on philosophy to prove religion. Philosophy is just not equipped to be able to demonstrate fact from imagination. So, uh, if <laughs> when you're trying to do metaphysics with philosophy, it's just not going to work. Well, when you're trying to do met metaphysics, it doesn't work. I mean, I look. I'm. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start this video. Um, I have zero respect for metaphysics. Um, it's just a, it's just a fake made up thing. Um, it's, it's people who don't understand the science of, if I can use a wooey term, the science of the self, of, of, of the brain, the mind of the C word consciousness. And so when their science fails, the imagination kicks in. And so we get souls and spirits and ghosts and stuff. Okay. Let's, uh, let's listen to this six minute video. <laughs> it's going to take us 30 minutes to listen to this video. I promise. Here we go. Uh, Dr. Craig, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, I'm William Lane Craig. I'm a research professor at Talbot School of Theology, and I'm a Christian philosopher and theologian. Um, it's the experience of many, uh, many Christian students who attend university uh, that they find their faith troubled, uh, and they begin to have doubts. Okay, <laughs> there's the first place we're going to stop. I told you this is going to take a while. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
this is this is a softball question though. I'm just gonna throw it to you. Why? Why is it that so many Christian students start having doubts when they enter university? You know, Christians should really take some time to to ponder this. All right. Um, it doesn't matter whether the the child goes to a Christian university or a secular university. So you might think, oh, well, I'm going to protect my child from these nagging doubts by sending them to a Christian university. That does not help. Christian university puts out uh, as many atheists, I think, as, as any other type of university. So the real question uh, for Christians to really ponder is why is it that when people start thinking a little bit more deeply and going for a little bit more higher education and get exposed to more things, why does that put your religious faith in doubt? Darren? I think the answer is actually pretty simple. Um, almost all of the arguments for Christianity are arguments from ignorance. We don't know X, therefore God. So when they finally figure out what X is, why it happens, how it happens, um, then there's no longer that ignorance there to point to God. And I think if you get enough of those, then the person starts thinking, huh, I wonder if this God, God thing is actually real since none of the arguments I've been given hold up once you actually start learning about how the world works. So, because I agree that that is maybe most of it, I think I'm just going to let it stand without comment. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> we, we've met, right? Um, oh, yeah. I also think there's um, a component that Christian children, children that grew up in, in church and or grew up in certain cultures, are extremely informationally sheltered. So they are not exposed to other ideas. All they know are their religious ideas, you know, in large part. And if, if, you, if you live in a culture like uh, the Southeast uh, United States, it doesn't matter whether you grow up in a Christian home or not. Your culture is inundated with, with these ideas. That's really all you know. And when you go to university, this is the first place where you really encounter people that have other opinions, other ideas, uh, and where it's okay. You know, you will encounter people online. I think that uh, the internet has been great for um, getting people to, you know, walk away from faith. But in certain cultures, they would just say that the online community is not safe, right? It's still, it's still a place that's taboo, but when you go to university, that's not supposed to be taboo, right? You're supposed to open your mind to new things and new ideas. And I think it's the first time when a lot of kids have permission and also access to ideas outside of their, uh, outside of small town USA. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, the more information people have, the less the less they need the answers from religion, especially when the answers from religion just don't match up with reality. All right, let's uh, let's take another baby step <laughs> through this uh, 
Sure. What advice would you give to someone who is experiencing serious doubts? Well, there's a number of things I think that I would say about that. First of all, I think that I would tell them that they need to understand the proper relationship between faith and reason. Oh, okay. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the proper relationship between faith and reason. Now, Darren, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I've heard Christians saying for the last number of years that faith and reason are not different things. That that faith is the reasonable conclusion to the uh, to good thought processes uh, and evidence. But Craig here is saying uh, that there is a difference between faith and reason; that they are distinct. And I think that that distinction is very important. And so the distinction that I would make here that I think is going to be borne out later in this video is that Craig is using the word reason euphemistic, euphemistically. All right. He, he's not talking about simply your thought processes. You know, uh, he's, he's talking about evidence. So he's using reason in the same way that biblical authors used sight or seeing, you know, faith versus seeing. They're not talking about, you know, uh, necessarily the function of your eyes and optic nerve. They're talking about evidence. And Craig here, I think, is making a distinction between faith and evidence. And I think that's what we're going to see. What we're going to see. Uh, I think that the reason Christians speak euphemistically about evidence a lot of times is because they don't want to be seen as being against evidence, against science. You know, they want, uh, they want to be respected in halls of philosophy and halls of science, and they, they don't want to be laughed out of these situations. And so, you know, they put on the lab coat, uh, you know, and they've got their priest collar under, under the lab coat. And so they want to make it look like they care about this, but they really don't at the end of the day. And I think that this is really going to come out uh, as we go on further. But I just wanted to make that note to put a pin uh, right there. Uh, this is very important, the relationship between faith and reason. What could Craig possibly mean? Let's go uh, just a couple steps more and uh, I'll, I'll bring you back in. And my view here is that the way in which I know Christianity is true is first and foremost on the basis of the witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me stop you right there. I will just give you the first bite of this apple. Yeah, this is always sounds impressive, but when you really dig down uh, to what they really mean, it's always so unimpressive. Whenever I actually get a Christian to tell me what they mean by the witness of the Holy Spirit, basically all they mean is that they feel warm and fuzzy inside when they ask themselves a question. Mm -hmm. And the whole, this whole idea just sort of starts becoming so much more unimpressive when you realize that that's really all they mean is that they feel warm and fuzzy and you really see all the holes in, um, in the argument. So it's also sort of a, it, it, it's, also, it's also sort of interesting that 
given his mythology, he actually doesn't know that it's the Holy Spirit and not the devil that's giving him these warm, fuzzy feelings. So, I mean, just as, I mean, you know the Bible better than I do. What makes more sense, that God won the war between the devil and uh, the angels, or the devil won the war between God um, during the uprising, and the devil's the one that actually wrote the, the Bible, or had it be made? Uh, well, you know, I'll try to take your question seriously for uh, 25 seconds. Um, given those two choices, the devil has either won or is winning. Or it's a stalemate, which still means the devil wins. But what it, what it doesn't look like by any measure is that God is winning. Right? So, <laughs> or even wrote the Bible. Right, there's I mean, no assuming the loving God that uh, people say that God is. You know, given given some kind of cosmic war between God and the devil, and then looking at the state of the universe or religion or however you want to slice the thing, there is no part of it that looks like God is winning. And so, uh, the the more rational thing I think to believe uh, would be that the devil won, or that is winning, or is tied, which would still be a win uh, yeah, for the, the devil. Problem of evil. And, and the problem the, of evil goes completely away if you assume that the devil actually won the war with God. Right. The The thing that Christians never ask themselves, I ask them sometimes, and you get a blank stare, but the thing that a Christian never asks themselves is, how would you know if God was dead? How would you know if the devil won? What would be, what would be the clue for you? Uh, well, let's see. Sin would be running rampant in the world. Okay, check. <laughs> Um, you know, God would not be able to show himself and act in the world the way he uh, did in biblical times. Check. People are tortured for all eternity after they died. You know, I don't, you know, it's, it's, there's no, I, I don't, I don't know how you look at <laughs> the theology of the situation or the mythology of the situation and come out with, oh yeah, God's winning. <laughs> he's, he's definitely winning. <laughs> So, uh, like I said, we're going to talk about the um, the um, internal uh, witness of the Holy Spirit more next week. It, Craig has a very long lecture, and we're going to do the whole thing. And he has a, he's a lecture on this topic, and it's great. And I guarantee you, at the end of it, when you are done listening to Craig explain all of his points, he's a very good speaker. When you when you get through all of his points, you still will not know what the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is. <laughs> so, uh, to your to your point, no one can explain it. Um, in fact, it's worse than that. Uh, let's go backward a little bit because the the witness of the Holy Spirit is a is a level or two too far. No one knows what the Spirit what spirits are. In fact, move away from spirits. The word spiritual. Have you ever heard someone who is spiritual define spiritual? <laughs> this, this would come up on uh, Atheist Experience every now and then. Uh, and from time to time, people would be challenged. Uh, I don't know what spiritual means. Can you tell me what it means? No. Uh, the, the no I've one come, can do it. The closest I've come to anyone's... Uh describing it or explaining it is a sense of awe 
That's the closest I've ever heard anyone actually describe it in a way that makes sense. Right, which is a perfectly human kind of thing. Right. So, um, so tell me what spiritual is other than just a uh, synonym for something that is perfectly human and natural. It it can't be done. It's never been done. Christians won't do it. Can't do it. Uh, the conversation ends at that point. Won't happen. So spiritual. That's kind of the most generic we can get. Then you ask, okay, well, what's a spirit? Well, a spirit is kind of the personification of the spiritual, but we can't personify a thing that we can't define. So we're already we're already screwed if you're just trying to define spirit. We're we're already one level beyond defining. Because we can't define spiritual, and so we can't personify it. And then if you say, okay, but let's make the spirit holy. Well, you haven't you haven't done anything now because you're just adding descriptors to a thing that you couldn't define to a thing that you couldn't define. So now let's place this Holy Spirit inside of a person, giving it location, has still not defined it. <laughs> so um, I know that what you want people to do is to demonstrate that what they are saying is true. And I think in this case, your demand for demonstration is premature. Christians don't need to demonstrate the witness of the Holy Spirit. They need to define it. Define it first. Let's talk about it and then de demonstrate it. <laughs> Tell me what the hell you're talking about first. And they can't do that. They can't make that step. Well, like you said, uh, if they can't define it, then if they can demonstrate it, then maybe we can define it for them. Yeah, well, they, they can't demonstrate it. They can't tell you what they're talking about. Um, I don't know what they're talking about, and I'm pretty sure that they don't know what they're talking about. And, oh, and I, I will give any Christian, any Christian, two hours on skeptics and seekers. <laughs> if you want to come and tell me, explain to me what spirit is, what spiritual is, what the inner witness of the spirit is here's a question what is a spirit witnessing to i don't know do you just want them to say words at you or do you want them to actually show you that what they're the words they're talking are accurate i want i, I want them to define <laughs> their terms uh we'll do a second show and i'll give them two more hours to demonstrate it <laughs> i just i just want to get on the definition page because i don't know what the hell they're talking about and no zero christians have ever spoken about this in a way that anyone could possibly understand including themselves um the other thing i wanted to pull out of this i didn't even want to go that far and talk about the witness of the holy spirit we're going to talk about it next week um <laughs> The uh, but the thing here, uh, the the quote here, pull back in the transcript. Uh, okay. Uh, and my view here is that the way in which I know Christianity is true. Okay, so this is this is his epistemology. Is first and 
foremost, these words, first and foremost, this is also critical as we go through the video. Don't let this pass. Because it's not like William Lane Craig doesn't believe for other reasons. Okay, he, he has other reasons. And he can go all day giving you other reasons. So I'm not suggesting that he doesn't have other reasons. But what you need to understand is that number one in that superseding all of those other reasons is the witness of the Holy Spirit. So without those other reasons, or if those other reasons were defeated, first and foremost is always the witness of the Holy Spirit. When you hear someone like Craig uh, talking, and he's talking about evidence of the resurrection or, uh, you know, whatever, Pascal, whatever he's talking about at the time, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only thing that really matters is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Let's hear him. Yeah, let me let me see if I can do this and get the next three words. In my heart. In my heart. <laughs> okay. I can't really rewind things very well. Uh, the whole quote. And my view here is that the way in which I know Christianity is true is first and foremost on the basis of the witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Um, I'm going to ask a kind of stupid sounding question, uh, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Darren, what do Christians mean when they talk about something in their heart? What is, uh, what is that? What do you hear? Uh, their emotions. Basically, they feel good about something, and therefore it has to be true in how the universe works. The uh, Mormons use burning, uh, burning bosom to, so they really, really, really believe it. It makes them feel really, really, really good. Therefore, God, magic, creation in six days. So, um, poets talk about the heart a lot. Uh, I suspect that less than 1% of 1% of the time that poets talk about the heart, are they talking about a piece of biology? What they actually mean is your emotional center. Um, in common parlance, most of the time when we talk about the heart, you know, I love you from the heart, we're talking about our emotional core, right? And when the Bible talks about the heart, I, I would almost go as far as to say it's never talking about biology. It's always talking about uh, the heart in the poetic sense, the emotional core. But I believe that Christians, when they talk about the heart, are actually including something else. And the reason I believe that is because they don't believe that their emotions are the center of that which is veridical. Uh, Christians don't trust emotions any more than anyone else. Um, so they wouldn't say that the core of the reason why they're 
a Christian is because of their emotions, and a, and a, a, pressure, a professional apologist would never say that. And yet, Craig says, first and foremost, number one reason supersedes everything is the witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Christians are very metaphysical. Uh, many of them believe that there is a distinction between the soul, the spirit, the mind, and the heart. You can hear whole sermons about Christians making those kinds of distinctions. Now, I cannot tell you exactly what it is they mean by the heart, but I can almost guarantee there, that there is some metaphysical gloss to this that goes beyond the traditional poetic meaning. Because otherwise, what William Lane Craig just said is that um, the strongest piece of evidence that I have is the Holy Spirit that I can detect in my emotions. And that's not something that he would actually say. Well, I don't think he would say it that way, but mostly because he was told, probably when he was younger, that those emotions aren't his, they're the Holy Spirit's. And in that way, that's how he knows that the Holy Spirit's there, is because he's having those emotions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that sit there. I suspect this will be revisited on the next show. Um, but I just wanted, I wanted to point that out. I found that particularly telling. What else, Greg? And that this gives me a self-authenticating means of knowing that Christianity is true wholly apart from the evidence. Okay, uh, so this is just kind of confirmation of what I was saying. Uh, Craig is making a distinction between his faith and the evidence that inspires it, and regardless of the evidence, wholly and apart from the evidence, he believes that it is true. But he, he, he introduces a word here, and I will uh, talk about this a little bit, self-authenticating. What does self-authenticating mean, Darren? Um, it means he's really, 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 really wants to believe it, therefore it's true. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to say you're wrong. You have to be wrong. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, I promise you, if you if you read what he means by uh, self-authenticating in his own words, it's a good summary of what he actually means. Okay, then let me <laughs> let's see if we can still man this a little bit. Um, tell me, uh, philosophically or epistemolo uh, epistemologically, something besides you know religious things that are self-authenticating. Help me understand what anyone would mean by self-authenticating? Um, well, usually they mean self-evident when they say that, or they use it as a synonym. So, you know, things like you exist, um, two plus two equals four, even though that's not really an accurate statement when they use it. Um, intuitions, uh, they, well, they seem to think that intuitions have a very uh, magical um source uh, they call it the census divinitatis um so they'll uh, say that if your if your intuition matches it then it's self-authenticating okay i'm gonna strike the comments about census divinitatis uh 
as also fodder for next week's show. So uh, that uh, that last statement is, has been stricken uh, from uh -huh. the record. I, I edit the... I hope that's how editing works because I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> um, okay, so I've got a problem with self-authenticating. The very idea of self-authenticating. I mean, there are things that are that appear to be true, prima facie. See, I used a Latin word there. Um, there are things that seem to be true on the face of it. But that doesn't mean they are authenticated, which is to say proven to be true just because they seem to be true. Well, so, not, in, not in the secular world, but in the Christian world, I think they would say you're wrong. Well, right. But I, you know, taking, taking religion out of it for a moment, I'm just trying to figure out in what sense this idea of self-authenticating things would even be appropriate. Um, you know, I'm, I am in my office in front of this camera talking to you. All right. That seems to be evident to me, but the fact that it seems that way does not authenticate it. The very idea of authentication is that something external validates your internal sense of a thing. And I don't think you're going to be able to answer that here if you're going to shy away from intuition or the sense of divinitatis because I think that's sort of your answer. So you may have to pull this apart in your next show. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm also striking the last comments about census divinitatis. Stricken. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm being overly harsh, but I, I'm, I have also thought about this a, a lot and the idea of self-authentication seems oxymoronic. So something yeah, I, either, I don't understand these words or the Christians who use them don't understand these words, uh, because authentication, uh, has nothing to do with what a thing seems like to you. A thing seems like something to you, and next week's show, there'll be some people, uh, one of them will be uh, using a word, seemings. You know, he has some seemings <laughs> about things. Um, right, so I, I get that there are seemings. Things seem a certain way. But if you want to take the step to authenticate them, then you actually have to go external. Well, I think that's why they call it self-authenticating you don't go external because it authenticates itself. Okay, but it's not authentication. <laughs> You're missing what I'm saying here. Uh, if all um, you have uh, is your own internal seeming, you do not have authentication. Well, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I think they're, like most Christian words, they change the meaning to mean something other than what it does so that they can make it sound different than what it really does to people that aren't don't know about the different definitions. It's sort of like in this uh, quote you pulled out, 
that Christian is, uh, uh, that the faith is different than the reason. Um, and when you say that, when you talk to Christians, they always say that faith is based on evidence, but Craig's clearly not using that definition here. He's clearly using the definition of faith being something we believe in spite of the evidence or without evidence. But you uh, tell that Christian that's what faith means when Christians are using that word and they'll fight tooth and nail and say, oh, no, 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 no. Faith is uh, based on evidence when Craig is clearly not using it in that way here. So if, you're, if you want to play a semantic game, you can do that, but I think you'll be eternally confused because they change the meaning of words. I concur. Let's um, let's see if this next bit makes more sense. And therefore, if in some historically contingent circumstances the evidence that I have available to me should turn against Christianity, I don't think that that controverts the witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, hang on. My uh, computer has a message. Let's see if I can get my computer to give its message. <laughs> Holy goddamn fucking shit. And killed me Are you kidding me? Stupidity. Craig just I'm broke my brain and killed me with his fucking stupidity. I'm going to need a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> True so, words. So, I, when I listened to this video the first time, I I literally had to stop. I had to get up. <laughs> I had to walk away. <laughs> You know, at, at some point I had to stop swearing. <laughs> but let's let's just see. Um I'm, I'm sorry, that that really should have been more dramatic than what it ended up being though. Holy, Holy goddamn God fucking, fucking shit. shit. Are, Are you kidding, kidding me? me? Craig, Craig just, just broke my brain, brain and, killed and killed me with his, with his fucking, fucking stupidity. stupidity. I'm, going I'm going to need, to need a, minute. a minute. Yeah, that's that's the message. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, while my computer uh, takes a walk around the block, <laughs> um, and therefore, historically contingent circumstances, I'm sorry, yeah, and therefore, if in some historically contingent circumstances, the evidence that I have available to me should turn against Christianity. Let's, let's just pause there for a moment. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it sounds like he's talking about the resurrection. If someone were to prove the resurrection didn't happen or something. With, with anything that I currently believe, if the evidence were to turn against that and prove that something else was true other than what I believed, I would follow the evidence. I would change my belief or 
at the very least, hold my current belief a lot more loosely and, and, and study it more. But this, this really is not about something has come along that you don't understand. He's really saying in, in some universe, if it is possible that there is evidence that comes along that disproves Christianity. That's, that's really what he's saying. Um, so what do you do, sir? If some evidence comes along that disproves Christianity, Christians are always saying on these shows, if, you know, the bones of Jesus were shown up, you know, some impossible thing, then, you know, I wouldn't be a Christian. But Craig says, I don't give a damn about the bones of Jesus. <laughs> I don't give a damn about if you find some monk somewhere uh, who wrote a diary and we found the diary and he said, yeah, I wrote the Bible. I made up Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't matter. Um, so Craig has this this beginning that makes you hopeful that he's going to say something sensible. If the evidence turns against Christianity, I don't think that that controverts, in other words, that doesn't overtake, that's not, that doesn't overturn the witness of the Holy Spirit. Period. Drop the mic, go home. You Craigites out there, you should all write him and, and scorn him for this. I, I, I really want to know. I really want to know. It, I know that there are Christians in the audience and, and you don't often write in. If the evidence turns against Christianity, you go with Craig and say, you're going to believe it anyway, because the witness of the Holy Spirit is much stronger than the evidence? Or are you going to uh, start questioning your beliefs? You don't have to put it on the board. You can just write me, skepticsandseekers, and seekers, uh, at gmail.com, and let me know. I will keep it anonymous. Um... Darren, where do, you, where do you go with this? Uh, this is this is Craig just laying it out there. Um, I don't care about the fucking evidence. Yeah. Well, do, do you do you read this any other way? So People will say I'm not being charitable. How do you see this? Um, I see this as completely brainwashed uh, in the in the fortress, uh, hand over ears, jumping up and down, saying no, 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 no. Um, at, when someone's at this point, I don't know that there's any way, I mean, assuming they're serious, I mean, a lot of people will say this just for, you know, optics, but, um, I think if they're truly at this point, then they're just sort of a lost cause. They have no real way to distinguish fact and fiction and don't trust them with your kids. You know? Right. This is, this is what I mean about your faith, not having a mechanism for doubt. Your, your epistemology not having a mechanism for doubt in it. For Craig, there is no mechanism that could cause him doubt. There's, there's, it does not exist. Uh, and even the evidence, if it shows up, wouldn't cause him doubt if it turned against uh, Christianity. Um, I don't want to quote a lot of scripture in this show, but... Um, I'm going to say Galatians, um, in Galatians, I, I'm not going to look it up. Uh, 
Paul is talking to the church at Galatia, and he is telling them, uh, he's trying to warn them against false prophets, and he, he makes a statement, though we or an angel from heaven teach any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Don't believe it if it's me. Don't believe it if God sent an angel. And so for Paul, if God, if Paul is, Paul can't be wrong. In other words, this is what I am telling you right now about the gospel can't be wrong. There can never be a mechanism for doubt, even if God sends an angel to you. You should assume that it's an accursed angel. Yeah, that's brilliant. Colt's con man type language. You know, get get them into your little bubble so that you have complete control and uh, protect them from all that extra information that might cause them doubts. Yeah, this is... Um... This should be academic suicide, honestly. I think in any other discipline, this would be academic suicide. Yeah. No, no one would hire say, you. Yeah. You would be. You would speak at no lectureships. You would. The the only places you could go would be the fringe lunatic uh, zones, and this really makes Christianity look like fringe lunatic nonsense. Yeah, because in Christianity, this is a feature, not a bug. Right. Right. There's there is no mechanism for doubt. So let's let's go. We've got a slightly bigger chunk. Um, we're getting there, people. I promise. I told you that this was going to take a minute. All right. Let's. Oops. Oh, take a take this bed right here. In such a situation, I should result re, uh, regard that as simply a result of the contingent circumstances that I'm in. And that if I were to pursue this with uh, due diligence and with time, I would discover that, in fact, the evidence, if I could get the correct picture, would support exactly what the witness of the Holy Spirit tells me. So I think that's very important to get the relationship between faith and reason right. Otherwise, what that means is that our faith is dependent upon the shifting sands of evidence and argument which change from person to person, place to place, and generation to generation. Uh, uh, so okay. he's saying that uh, you shouldn't believe the evidence because, and just the Holy Spirit because the evidence changes. And even if it all looks like it's going uh, against you, then uh, if you just dig down deep enough and wrap and do enough gymnastics with your brain, then you can make it fit what you want it to believe. So you remember how he started this off by uh, talking about the relationship between faith and reason. And I said, yeah, here in this case, he's using reason as a euphemism for evidence. Uh, here, uh, the, the mask is off. <clears throat> we're, not, we're not using euphemisms anymore. He's saying that evidence is bullshit. Evidence is meaningless when it comes to faith. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the evidence says. Evidence is a bad form of epistemology. This is kind of what Craig is saying. The witness of the Holy Spirit, that's the good epistemology because it can't change. It is not subject 
to change. It is not subject to ever being wrong. It is not subject to doubt. However, evidence, you know, evidence, science, you know, that stuff, that's, that's subject to change over time, you know, as people learn new things. <laughs> and so Craig doesn't see that as a feature. Uh, he's, he's talking about evidence as if it were a bad thing. Only in a religious context could evidence possibly be a bad thing. And yet this is how Craig is talking about it. Well, it has to be a bad thing. There's no way that evidence in a religious sense can be a good thing because none of the evidence that actually exists out there points to religion being true. So it, they have to demonize it. Otherwise, they couldn't, in their own minds, make any justification for being religious. Right. Part of the, part of the problem here, uh, and we talked about this in the last, last segment, so I won't overemphasize it, but it does bear repeating. Um, with this, there is simply no mechanism to uh, question your beliefs at this point. There's no mechanism for doubt. There's no mechanism for wondering, for instance, well, this thing that I thought was the inner witness of the Holy Spirit and the thing that I thought was confirming, is that really the case? You can never ask that question. Because at that point, you're just putting it subject to your own reason or external evidences. And that is something you cannot uh, ever do. Uh, let me see if I can read, just read this. It didn't highlight it and I should have. Uh, oh yeah. So he was saying <clears throat> this, uh, the first thing that he was saying about evidence, if there was this other evidence, he is sure that if he had the opportunity in time or circumstances to really know the full truth that it would ultimately evaluate uh, the witness of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, even if you get some evidence, uh, some counter evidence, uh, and the best of your understanding, that counter evidence is in fact true and your faith is false, what you should assume is that you just aren't in a good position to evaluate the evidence. That if you were in a better position, if you had the God's eye view, that the evidence would vindicate you. Now, this is exactly the um, God of the, uh, the, the nature of the gaps, excuse me, the, the, the kind of the response to atheists. You've heard this term bandied about nature of the gaps is kind of a, a way to combat God of the gaps, because we will say, look, if you don't understand something, you just assume God. And what they will say is, well, you're a naturalist. Uh, if, if there's something that you don't know, you assume that, you know, there's a natural um, uh, explanation for it, that, you know, given enough time that science and nature will be vindicated. This is exactly what William Lane Craig has just done for his God, uh, which is to say, I don't care 
what the natural explanations are or the counter evidence is. I'm just going to assume that God would be vindicated if we had the proper view. And as you as you said uh, in the last bit, there's nowhere you can go with that. There's nothing. There's nothing that you can do. This is kind of in the beginning. I was talking about open mind, closed mind. I don't know why anyone would have a conversation with Dr. Craig, given his theology, because there's not only does he not think he's wrong, which I'm okay with that. He doesn't think it's possible to be wrong, and he thinks that the people who are listening to him should also not think it's possible that they could be wrong. Moreover, they have an inbuilt mechanism so that they could never consider counter evidence. Yeah, see, and I'm less concerned about that they think they couldn't possibly be wrong and that they just ignore all the evidence that would demonstrate that they're wrong. But then again, I have yet to find a Christian that actually understands what evidence actually is. So, okay. Um, all right, here we go. We'll we'll speed through the rest of this. Uh, I got a lot of notes. We're not going to get through all of them. Whereas the Holy Spirit and His testimony gives every generation and every person immediate access to a knowledge of God and the truth of. Of Christianity that's independent of the shifting sands of time and place and person and historical contingency. Okay. Um, right. So this this is pretty much what I uh, said a moment ago. I was just kind of reading ahead. Um, what he is saying is that the testimony of the Spirit gives every generation and every person uh so i'm i assume that means our generation and you and me because we're part of a generation and we're persons correct <laughs> um, uh, better days yeah um so it gives us access to knowledge of god the holy spirit and his testimony gives every generation every person access to the knowledge of god and the truth of Christianity. Do you have anything from the Holy Spirit that gives you access to the truth of Christianity? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Me either. Furthermore, I've never had it. Even when I was a Christian, I would have questioned this statement. Because I had to work hard to come to the truth of Christianity. I didn't have anything magically validating stuff well, so this goes back this goes back to your definite uh your point where they can't even define what the holy spirit is so is the is the uh statement he's making even coherent if he can't even define it so he says that this that this knowledge of god and the truth of christianity is independent of the, here he takes another swipe here, the shifting sands of time and place and person and historical contingency. By historical contingency, he means evidence. The <laughs> things, things that actually happen. So the thing that should always be convincing to you is the spirit within you that gives you assurances and that stands head and shoulders above 
everything else, especially that shifty evidence. And yet, I don't see why we should believe him when he's talking to Christians. I don't, I don't see why we should believe that Christians have it or that he has it if we don't have it. Because he says that this is available to every person. So that seems to open up the floor for me to raise my hand and say, uh, not here. And so if it's not here, then I also can question whether you have it either, Mr. Craig. Yeah, it's one of those things where they accidentally put out a testable claim without realizing that it's a testable claim. And uh, so we can, it's one of those easy things that we can say, oh yeah, no, you're full of shit because that's not true. Right. I, I, I agree fully with that. He, he accidentally stepped into the uh, muck of testability here. Um, it gets a little worse, but we're going to go a little faster. <laughs> the second thing I, I think I would say follows from that. What this means is that doubt is never simply an intellectual problem. What? Okay. Um, doubt. What is doubt, uh, Darren? Give me give me a off the cuff definition of doubt. Go. Uh, a simply intellectual problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. I would I would say it is intellectual uncertainty. Uh, about a, about a proposition. Um, but yes, it it is intellectual <laughs> now here's the thing i wouldn't call it a problem this is this is part of the this is part of the um disconnect that uh craig has here uh he believes that doubt is a problem and i think that doubt is a part of the learning process uh, you've uh, obviously never sat in front of the closet trying to figure out what shirt to wear in the morning then Sure. <laughs> See, in so this this is where special pleading steps in because, of course, doubt is a part of the process of everything that we do intellectually. Almost. So any any decision that we make, we start weighing the options, and we we you know land upon an option. And if there's time, you know, we might question that option. Uh, you know, arguments, counter arguments, uh, and if it's really close. We, we might doubt our decision. That's okay. That's, that's an inbuilt mechanism we have where uh, something in what we've seen that may not be fully conscious is telling us that, hey, you need to reevaluate that decision. Um, I'm going to stop at the corner and not continue crossing the road without looking. <laughs> Because at the moment, I have a little bit of doubt that it would be safe for me to continue across. I would like to double check and make sure it is okay to continue across. Now, this happens for a split second, but this is the process that we all go through. If you never have that doubt, if you never question whether it is okay to cross the street, you would be dead. We know that William Lane Craig does not live his life the way he just said because he would be dead. He's an old man. He's alive. So we know that he goes through uh, moments of healthy doubt. We, we know I don't that. think I don't think he, he's saying he doesn't. Uh, he's just saying that doubt's not the only thing. 
intellectual doubt's not the only thing. Well, I... uh, but he's he's queuing up doubt as a problem, and and what I'm what I'm suggesting is doubt is in no sense a problem. It's the solution. The reason you're alive is because you have healthy doubt about things. Yeah. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be alive. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, it, I, I don't know, my, my personal take on that is that it, doubt is sort of like a spectrum. Uh, you've got the problem side of doubt, you've got the uh, benefit side of doubt, and then everything in between. Yeah, but Craig is not talking about a benefit side of doubt. <laughs> That's, this, is, this is the thing, he doesn't see any benefit in doubt. Um, so he's, this is, this is how he's setting, um, this up. And in order to, to, um, present doubt as a problem, look at what he has to do. Look at the move that he has to make. He has to take doubt outside of the purely human, outside of the purely incidental, outside of the purely intellectual and turn it into something else. Otherwise it wouldn't be a problem. So it, it so for doubt to be a problem, he's got to make that move. What else, Dr. Craig? There's always a spiritual dimension to doubt as well. Really? You see, this is what I'm talking about. There is not always a spiritual dimension to doubt. Sometimes it's just a self-preservation dimension to doubt. <laughs> All right. I wonder if I wonder if he says that because the uh, if he's using his instincts and feelings to as uh, that's what he's calling the uh, inner witness of the Holy Spirit, and he has doubts, so then his instincts and feelings are uh, saying, oh, no, this isn't true now. And so he is that him thinking that the Holy Spirit is the one that's providing that? Or is that where the devils come in? Or Well, let's see what he says next. There is an enemy of your souls, oh, Satan. Is. Oh, boy, I don't even have a stopping point there, so I'm just going to let it continue. <laughs> who, is, who hates you intensely and who is bent on your destruction and who will do everything in his power to see that your faith is destroyed. Okay. Well, it's okay. nice to know that uh, William Lane Craig's a superhero and can fight the devil. <laughs> no, he cannot. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, right, so the, really, this kind of validates what I'm what I'm saying about Craig and doubt. He doesn't see uh, doubt as a positive thing. He doesn't see anything positive about doubt when it comes to his religious faith. Once again, though, this is kind of the special pleading of Christianity. Yes, doubt is good everywhere else, but in your when if you're a Christian, to doubt your faith is an attack from Satan. Tell me, Darren, have you ever heard a Christian tell a Muslim, if you attack, if you doubt your Muslim faith, that's a sign that you're being attacked by the devil? Y do you think that would fly? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. No, no Christian would ever say that. They would never suggest that. Once again, we're special pleading here. Uh, for no, they Christian. just say that they're, they're just saying they're pawns of the devil full out, so... Well, sure, but what they, what the Christian is trying to get people from other religions to do is to doubt their inner testimony but for a christian if you have any doubt oh don't listen to that that is that is an attack from the devil it's a spiritual attack your doubt let me tell you what doubt has done for me uh, over the course of my lifetime it's caused me to slow down stop reevaluate and then uh take some time before making an important decision 
That's what doubt does. That's that's the function of doubt in us humans. But what Craig is saying is you can never slow down, stop, reevaluate your Christianity. That's one thing that you can never doubt. If you you can doubt other things in your life and slow down and stop, evaluate. But you cannot do that for Christianity. If doubt has uh, intervenes with your Christianity or, or matters of faith, that's from the devil. I always wonder when Christians like this talk about uh, this war of devil and angels and God, I wonder what they think the human is. Because you've got all your good feelings are the Holy Spirit. And then you've got all your bad feelings and your reasoning is the uh, is the devil. What does that leave for the person to be? All right. Well, commenters, <laughs> let us know. Uh, I'm going to leave that question hanging. Um, I don't know the answer, by the way. I'd have to... I'd have to give that some thought because I have no idea. If you if you have the Spirit of God within you, let's say you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God indwelling within you some somehow, and you have doubt. Uh, I'm sorry, the devil on the other side, and they and the devil can insinuate himself into your mind and cause you to doubt. I don't, I don't actually know what's left. It seems like you are just the territory at that point, and the battle is between two cosmic spirits. So I, I don't know what's left. And therefore, when we have these intellectual doubts and problems, we should never look at them as something that is spiritually neutral or divorce them from the spiritual conflict that we're involved in rather okay so th this is just what i said he's just being more explicit don't think of uh religious doubts as normal human healthy things it should always be thought of as uh as spiritually um malignant it it's never benign it's never neutral we need to take these doubts to God in prayer, to admit them honestly, to talk to our Christian friends about them, to not stuff them or hide them. We need to deal with them openly and honestly and, and talk to people about them and, and seek God's help in dealing with them. Okay, so everybody knows about the Kyle situation. Would someone please point to a video or a even a text write-up, I'll take that, where Dr. Craig says to Kyle, you know what, this is a spiritual issue, let's pray together. Let's, let's take this to God together. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to put my arm around you pastorally, and we're going to pray through this. That didn't happen. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of these, and maybe I missed it, and so someone can uh, let me know if Craig actually believes the garbage that he just said there. I see no evidence of, of him taking that kind of action or even counseling Kyle to, to enter a period of prayer. You know, prayer, it's one of those things that Christians say. It's, it's one of the things they have in their toolbox where they can pretend 
that they care about you and they can pretend that they're doing something effective for you, but they don't actually have to do anything. wonder if this is one of those things that Craig uh, changed his mind on over the years, realizing that prayer doesn't actually work when someone comes to a work problem. Yeah. All right. A couple more of these. A couple more. I think, frankly, no human being in this lifetime will ever have all of his questions answered. Uh, there's always going to be a question bag on the shelf of unanswered questions that we haven't had time to deal with in this lifetime. So that the key to victory in the Christian life is not having all your questions answered. The key to victory is, how, is learning how to live with unanswered questions. That's the real key. How do you allow unanswered questions not to become destructive doubts? Right. Uh, because the worst thing that you can do is ask a question that leads to doubt. I think that's more to this than just that, though. Because, and this is one of those places where I think he's really, be, really showing himself to be a hypocrite. Because if he was truly sincere that uh, it's okay to live with unanswered questions, he wouldn't be religious because none of the questions that he has about his religion are answered, you know, other than his, I really, really, really wanted to be true that he had to convince himself into. Yeah, I see something even a little more sinister than that, and I think that this whole thing is pretty brainwashy, culty, sinister uh, oh, yeah. here. But I, in this case, if you do have these questions, the key to living uh, the Christian life is ignoring the fact that you don't have good answers to good questions. Now, in other endeavors, we insist on having good answers to good questions. It's possible that you're asking questions that, that's not a good question, right? And um, so there may not be an available good answer, and maybe what you really need to do is evaluate the question. Uh, how many grains of sand uh, are on Myrtle Beach? That's a stupid question. <laughs> right? But if you want to spend your life uh, figuring it out, or if you want to get your doctorate degree, uh, doing some kind of model that tells you how many grains of sand are on Myrtle Beach, knock yourself out, it's your life. I, I would contend that that's a pretty stupid question. You're going to have a hard time coming up with a way that that's not a stupid question. But if you have a question that's, you know, a legitimate question, legitimate and important enough in your life that the answer could significantly change the way you think and live. That's what we're talking about with these religious questions. These are questions that can significantly impact the way you think and live. Those are the type of questions that you have to pursue and you cannot be satisfied with no answer or a bad answer. These, these questions are too important. And what Craig is trying to tell his listeners is when you get a really, really hard question, best for you to drop it because that's going to lead to doubt. So you've got to learn uh, that in Christianity, the key to being faithful and happy is not 
um, pressing too hard on those hard questions where you don't have answers to and that are important to the way you uh, think and live. Now, Craig is going to try to contradict me a little bit here, so I will let him. And I think part of the secret of that will be by cultivating your spiritual life, engaging in spiritual disciplines like prayer, meaningful worship, Christian music, sharing your faith with other people, being involved in Christian service, so that you will foster the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life, be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that when you come into the circumstances of doubt and the shifting sands of evidence and so forth, you aren't thrown into shipwreck because of that. Once again, we throw it in a little dig about evidence. The shifting sands of evidence. <laughs> Are you picking yeah. up all this? All that? Uh, what's what's that all about? Um, you know, and that actually, that, that sense that he made actually makes a lot more sense if you just uh, insert feeling good for uh, Holy Spirit. Yeah, there was... Um... Oh yeah, this this whole idea of it's going to be all right if you just immerse yourself in the cult deeper. Yeah. <laughs> if you're having great. doubts, just sing more songs, <laughs> read more Bible, meditate, uh, meditate more. <laughs> um, just get deeper into the cult. Um, and don't worry about that pesky evidence; it shifts around all the time, anyways. Right. <laughs> Finally. I would encourage you, whenever you get the opportunity, to take one of those questions out of the question bag and pursue it into the ground until you come to intellectual satisfaction with it. And I can say from my own personal experience that this is one of the most spiritually exhilarating and healthy things that you can do in your Christian life, is to take some issue that has been a nagging doubt and make it the subject of a research project. Do a paper in your philosophy class on it or, or something like that and pursue it into the ground until you are intellectually satisfied with it. And it will free you from that ever being a source of doubt again in your life. And that is a wonderful experience. I've done that with... Okay. I wasn't expecting him to uh, encourage everyone to become atheists. Right. You see, the... <laughs> This is where uh, I was talking about where he's, he's going to try to prove me wrong about what I said. But in fact, he actually proves me right. So if you think about this for a moment, you, you know, he uses the analogy of a, a bag. You've got a bag full of questions, you know, your question bag. It's OK to walk around with that, that question bag. But if that bag is feeling a little bit too heavy, what you should do is pull out one of these questions every now and then and really, really super serve it. Pursue it. Study it write a paper. Look, I'm, I'm fine with that uh, advice, by the way. Um, I do that in my life when I have questions about things that I think are important. I study them. Um, and so I, I think that is probably the best thing that he had to say here. But here's the problem with it. What he's saying is study it until you come up with the right Christian answer so that it's not uh, a problem to your faith anymore. So he's, if you study it and what you come up with is a negative evidence for Christianity, what he would say is, well, you need to study it some more, <laughs> right? Uh, you've got to, you've got to really, really pursue that thing into the ground 
until you come up with an intellectually satisfying answer and the, the unsaid thing is that validates your Christianity. And, and if you don't have that, you keep studying it until you do. And, and if, you, if, you, if you stop your study at any point and say, look, I've studied the hell out of this thing. This disproves Christianity or this is, this is a, you know, a possible defeat or Christianity. He would just say, well, you didn't study it enough. You've only studied it enough until you've got the answer that he thinks you should have. And then notice uh, toward the end of this statement, studying the ground until you are intellectually satisfied with it and it will free you from that ever being a source of doubt uh, into your life. You Once you have the right answer, drop it. Don't you dare revisit it. Don't you dare read another book. <laughs> don't you don't you dare listen to another atheist. Don't you dare let that question surface again. You study it and then you close your mind shut behind it once you've got the right answer. This is the the difference between a Christian telling you that you should, you know, take your questions and study them and say anyone else who actually cares about uh, academic or intellectual um, uh, truth and epistemology. This is, this is the difference. Because there is, once again, th there are things that I have studied uh, into the ground, and by into the ground, I just mean to the extent that I'm capable of right now. And I have some pretty strong opinions, but that doesn't mean that I will never study them again. Of course I will. <laughs> I of course I will. Uh, not the Christian. No, no, no. You, you study this thing so that you can take this out of your bag and it never come back. Yeah, it's funny because my bias when uh, I originally heard that statement from him was to study it fully. But after hearing you talk, I'm thinking, well, yeah, Dave's probably right. It's probably, when he says study, he probably means read apologetic books you know, uh, Answers in Genesis, uh, all the Christian stuff and not the actual, not the actual science or anything else that would uh, contradict your belief. Just study the stuff that we put out for you to study. All right, I think this is the uh, end of the video. Let's let it finish up. Here. A number of questions that I've had and it leaves you with the conviction that Christianity does indeed stand intellectually, head and shoulders above every ism or philosophy that it might compete with. But of course, as I say, we'll never empty the question bag completely. And so while this is a healthy exercise, the more fundamental task that we need to do is to how to learn to live with unanswered questions without allowing them to become destructive doubts. Dr. Craig, thank you for your time. You're welcome. All right, Darren. Um, yeah, so a little six-minute video. There's There was so much in there, uh, though, and I felt like it was important that we look at this kind of line by line and pull out the threads, because I, I think that we have become so used to Christianese in, in our society and in our communities, uh, even. even someone like you who didn't grow up Christian, you, you become 
so used to and comfortable with even Christianese that you don't hear the nuance of what's being said when it's said quickly like this. Uh, and I wanted to, to just take a moment, slow it down, evaluate everything. And what this leads me to uh, do is not respect William Lane Craig as a good teacher with some questionable ideas. It leads me to think of William Lane Craig as an extreme cultist who encourages everyone else to be an extreme cultist. He does not encourage Christians to be open-minded when they talk to skeptics. Um, he does not encourage Christians to be honest when they come to a conclusion that goes against their religious upbringing. He is building a fortress where their ideas will stay safe and locked away from anything that could cause it doubt. He is removing from the epistemological toolbox for the Christian doubt as a tool. He's creating a religion that is doubt-proof. And, and the way you get there for Craig is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to, we're going to talk about um, this more often, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. If you find some of this interesting, if you find some of this interesting audience, um, come back next time and I will uh, dig way deeper into this idea of the internal self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit. We've only scratched the surface, but I will give you a preview. Craig believes that the witness of the Holy Spirit is inviolable. It cannot be wrong. It cannot be wrong. If you believe that you have the witness of the Holy Spirit within you, you cannot be wrong. It is doubt-proof, question-proof, evaluation-proof. You should never evaluate it. It is true in and of itself, and it can never be untrue. And that's, I, I keep trying to say this in different ways so that you understand the extent uh, to which he believes this and to the lengths that he goes. And so we will talk about this next time and we'll also um, include uh, another video we're not just going to talk about Craig but uh, some other Christians that talk about the internal uh, self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit and so we will uh, take a little bit more of a philosophical angle to that as well. Darren, do you have any final thoughts here? Um, covered a lot of it the only thing I think I would add is something that's not necessarily directly related, but 
One fun thing that I did a while ago was I learned the language and tactics of conmen and cult leaders. And it's sort of a fascinating psychological study. And I would love for everyone in your audience to go do some research on how conmen and uh, cult leaders work and then rewatch this William uh, this video from William Way Craig because the parallels and tactic views are almost right out of the con man's handbook. It's just fascinating how closely they relate. And I would love to see comments of, you know, if, you know, if other people see it as much as I do in the comments. Well, uh, I do. And so you can see some of my comments <laughs> that will show up. Uh, skeptics and Seekers dot squarespace.com just log into the latest discussion uh, log into your discuss account and discuss away we will see you next time bye bye